Hello, this is the Sensitive Matters Podcast, a podcast bringing empaths, perceptive people, creatives, unique projects, and sensitive matters into the spotlight. Join us for meaningful conversations that inspire and have the power to gently create awareness around sensitive and important matters such as mental health, conscious consumerism, sexuality, spirituality, ethical business, and much more. I am Christina Zipperlin, founder of the ethical jewelry brand Ananda Soul. I'm a highly sensitive human who values community, creative and spiritual exploration, and ways to make a positive impact. I'm also a psychology student and mental health and LGBTQIA advocate. We're tuning in from the magical island of Bali, where I've lived for over 12 years and is the home of my jewelry company that strengthens and gives back to the local community. Thank you for joining us for these conversations as we, together, explore sensitive matters. And now, enjoy the episode. Welcome. I am so honored to welcome a very special guest today, Michaela Bohem. Michaela is an expert in intimacy, relationship, and sexuality and has been active in this field for over 20 years. She's a teacher, author, mentor, and thought leader whose work centers around the intersection of intimacy and embodiment with a method she created named the Nonlinear Movement Method. She's also the author of the book, The Wild Woman's Way, a handbook for the high-achieving modern woman published in 2018. She's also featured in Netflix's latest show, Sex, Love, and Goop, where alongside Gwyneth Paltrow and some of the leading experts in the field, she explores everything sex, relationship, and connection. Welcome, Michaela. What an honor to be with you today. Well, hello, and thanks for so having me. So good to have you. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, if it's all right, I would love to guide us through a very short grounding meditation so that we can kind of settle into our bodies. So for anyone listening, you're welcome to follow along. And if you're in the space where you can close your eyes and it feels comfortable to do so, go ahead and do that now. And just notice what is here right now. Becoming aware of the body and any sensations that might be present. Bringing the awareness into the stomach, into the hips, in the sit bones. Noticing the surface you're sitting on and the support that holds you. And just noticing, becoming aware of the breath as it enters and leaves the body. Mm -hmm. 
and calling in a sense of trust that whatever wants to arise here today is welcome and is exactly what is meant to be here. And whenever you feel ready, take another deep breath into the belly, into the chest. Exhale. And when you feel ready to open your eyes, welcome. <laughs> so, Michaela, where are you joining us from today? Where are you right now? Uh, I'm in my office in uh, Ojai, California. So this has become kind of my office headquarters since I'm also uh, confined to Zoom at the moment. And so I live uh, outside of Ojai in the... Uh, kind of in an upper valley where it's quite wild and very rural and very quiet. <laughs> mm, sounds magical. I know you're not originally from there. You're from Austria, right? And my, my own origins, I, I'm originally from Germany. So just on the other side of the mountains where you grew up and being quite familiar with those cultures, I know they're rather structured and linear. And I'm curious how you ended up from a place like Austria in, um, I know your path kind of took you to India and all sorts of places into becoming this expert of what is non-linear. Could you tell us a little <laughs> bit about that journey? <laughs> yes. Well, I think, you know, as always, when you look at um, how human beings function and how we do best is when there's opposites uh, that create a kind of a healthy tension in which we can explore and play. So uh, coming from a place that's linear and also having a very uh, linear mind on one end, I'm able to organize myself rather uh, well and get things done and stuff like that. But I also have an incredibly active, you know, and full-on imagination. So to me in the body, the same is true as in the mind. It's like when you can have... Um, good structure, you can also have good unstructure. And uh, when you are able to flow emotionally uh, on one end and allow yourself to have the full range of emotions, but then on the other end, you can kind of keep your shit together, so to speak, uh, when needed, then you have both sides and then you can play within the full range of what's possible in a human. So to me, the linear and the nonlinear go hand in hand and they're both equally important. And so um, how I ended up here is essentially just by following both of those paths, right? Meaning doing some very linear stuff, um, you know, applying myself very vigorously in, in uh, clinical and counseling work. And then on the other hand, uh, exploring very wildly and vastly in the realms of uh, the body and ritual and, um, you know, tantric practice and things like that. So to me, it's always those things, um, you know, flowing and playing and moving together. Mm -hmm. mm, I can relate as I, <laughs> in, in my own expression, have those worlds in me, like the very creative and fluid and then that structured. And speaking of wild exploration, um, where you and I actually met for the first time in person was in your Wild Woman's Way training. And I would love if you could share with 
the people listening, what the Wild Woman's Way means to you and also the nonlinear movement, and in particular how it addresses any patterns and trauma that's stored in the body. Yeah, so I think uh, to begin with, I should say that the Wild Woman's Way is a kind of an entire body of work. Out of that body of work came a book, but there's also courses and teacher training and all of those kind of things. And in the Wild Woman's Way, what I'm essentially addressing is um, how the body, the emotion, and the mind can play together from a place of wholeness and from a place that's connected with our original nature. And so wild in the context of um, what I'm working with is not crazy foaming at the mouth, right? Is which is what sometimes people think. It's wild as in untamed. It's wild as in um, rewilded or brought back to its original form, right? It's uh, parts of us that are connected to nature, that come from nature, that still have nature arising within us in our cycles and, you know, and all of that. So, the, the Wild Woman's Way is an entire body of work where I look at how can we get back to that place and how can we um, reintegrate an incredibly valuable aspect of our existence uh, back into the more heady, um, you know, linear places. So that's that's one whole thing. And by the way, because you were mentioning the book in the intro, the book's coming out as a paperback uh, on November 9th. And I finally got a new cover and it looks very beautiful now. Yes. So anyway, so that's um, that's that's the Wild Woman's Way nonlinear movement uh, or the nonlinear movement method, I should say, which is the proper term is an entire exploration on how we can access the body's natural wisdom around um, trauma release stuck, you know, things that are stuck being released. Um, uh, the ability to um, essentially feel our inner landscape and um, I should say reconcile, right, um, is probably a better word, Re reconcile between the physical, the emotional, the mental, and um, there's a, a few different applications to that, one of which is uh, releasing trauma and releasing um, particularly freeze. Uh, and then there is a modality in which we're essentially um, really training for kind of internal um, congruence, right, in the sense that what you're feeling and what is noticed uh, is as close together as possible. Uh, meaning you don't have bodily sensations that then half an hour later translate into some kind of realization uh, of something not being okay or something being okay. And then that, of course, leads to uh, pleasure, right? Uh, the ability to also be responsive to positive pleasure-filled sensual or sexual uh, experience. And there's a few other applications that I also teach, both in my personal work and in teacher trainings, where uh, we look at vitality or and also look at, let's say, embodied manifestation, meaning how do you call something in or check if something that you want to call in is actually appropriate for your system. So that's a bit on the nonlinear movement, and it's something that I've developed uh, or that 
started as originally as a central channel practice that I was engaged with and went from there and combined itself with trauma therapy and polyvagal uh, theory and uh, my own clinical findings. And it's uh, now uh, not only taught by me, but taught by uh, quite a few certified teachers and quite a few people knocking it off. (laughs) So that's how it always goes, uh, but it's it. Yeah, the things that you know are true. Yes, but then there's people who are well trained who are teaching, um, and I still teach every other week. Uh, so which is quite fun. Oh wow! Yeah. yeah, just as you're speaking, like it is so needed. I would say, especially in the time we find ourselves in, and and um, it's so familiar to me to have physical responses that that I know are not responding to what is happening right now. Like the freeze in particular, when my mind just goes blank, it is often so out of proportion to what I'm facing with, like, faced with in that particular moment. And so to find the subtleties and that, that nature piece that you spoke of, of what is present, what is actually really here right now. Mm, thank you. Mm-hmm. So kind of following the, that path of embodiment and what is present in the body, um, I know I shared with you in the past and also with our audience, um, I have a long history of having come a far away from struggling with eating disorders with a lot of body shame. Um, and I'm wondering, what do you recommend to women to become more comfortable in their own skin with their sensuality, um, to overcome insecurities, body shame, anything that that um, is really quite strong in today's world. And um, and where does self-pleasure come in in that piece? So I would say that um, having a body, right, and, and being in a body has a natural struggle to it, right? Because we're essentially working within a nervous system that on one end is trying to survive, right? Then on the other end is trying to optimize. And um, that's an important thing to understand is that we have kind of two modes. One is survival. And within survival, we will do whatever it takes to stay alive, so to speak. And that could be actual threat of, uh, you know, dying, or it could be a threat within the emotional or even spiritual uh, realm, right? It makes no difference to the nervous system if it's an actual threat or a perceived threat. So uh, that all said, uh, within that uh, context, we will adapt to situations and circumstances with whatever we have available so we can stay functioning. And of course, within that, there is a a fairly strong possibility that if we have strong things happen externally or internally, that we somewhat pull out of uh, the body uh, into kind of a dislocation where we view things from the outside or we don't allow ourselves or can't allow ourselves to feel certain things. And so because of that, all of us at some point or another have kind of fuzzed out of our bodies in order to survive. Uh, As a matter of fact, and I think this is an important thing uh, to say because there's so much rhetoric and half-cooked wannabe trauma stuff out there, right? Fight or flight is a good thing. 
it's, it's one of the most important things, you know, as far as human survival goes. And uh, rest and digest, you know, meaning sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system are both needed and they're both good. It, you can't fetishize one over the other. You need to be able to have once again, right, both available. So the fight or flight response in itself is a very, very useful response. Freeze is a very useful response. There's other trauma responses that we are now bringing to the table as well that are very useful responses. And just because we maladapt doesn't mean the thing was a bad idea to begin with. So we can't vilify our maladaptive coping is what I call it, because that's what kept us going, right? So now coming back to what you were saying about body and shame and things like that, most of us don't grow up in optimal circumstances where we can be completely free with whatever happens in our body and emotions and mind, right? So at some point, most of us have to make certain decisions in um, creating behaviors that allow us to be accepted because love is the most important, you know, love and belonging and tribe and having shelter and safety and those things are super important. So uh, in women, of course, the body is kind of a battlefield in itself for a number of reasons. Uh, one, of course, is societally, but it's not just that. It's also the fluctuation of hormones, the uh, threat or uh, non-threat of pregnancy, meaning you want it, it's not happening, you don't want it, it is happening. Right? Like There's all this stuff that uh, that lends itself to potential pitfalls. Now then put uh, in there... Um, you know, our uh, mothers and grandmothers traumas, right? And, uh, and they range in most cultures. Uh, the women before us were in wars, right? And worse, mm -hmm. right? So yep. there, it, it's a very, very, you know, I hope, I hope future generations might not have that, right? But just from an epigenetic viewpoint, but also from a behavior viewpoint, we mostly come from women who had to deal with an awful lot. And so all of that then gets synthesized in, in wherever, wherever it's, you know, kind of crinkles or wherever there's a little kink, that's where we, where then create behavior patterns. So having, let's say, maladaptive eating patterns, having maladaptive ways of dealing with our sexuality, with the way we dress ourselves, with the way we view ourselves isn't uncommon and it's to be understood as something that that will most likely happen in one way or another right how heavy it gets has to do with how much accumulates and also on the circumstances but i think it's important to acknowledge that we all carry that in some way or another and to take the stigma out of it right um you know somebody who uh cuts uh, because that's the way they deal with things is no different than somebody who gets, uh, you know, in trouble for spending too much money on Amazon. Uh, if it's maladaptive, it's maladaptive, right? Meaning you're not in control of the thing that's underneath. So I think it's very important to start out by saying it's not shameful. Uh, it's not fucked up. It's not 
irreparable or irreversible. It's the human condition. And it looks, men have it too. They just have different things sometimes. Not always, but sometimes, right? Um, it's just, it comes with the territory. And so to, to be able to say, yes, that's happening. And yes, we all have some version of that or another, um, is the beginning of healing it because you can't actually smooth something out that hasn't been acknowledged. If it's like in the shadows down there lurking, um, there's no way that it ever comes to light properly. Right. So then from there, what do you do? Well, Definitely inhabiting your body and making friends with your body versus treating your body as the enemy is a good first step. Uh, that's definitely true. Then uh, anytime we can befriend our impulses, befriend our survival mechanisms, and also befriend our wants and needs, it gets a lot easier. And then from there, of course, there's always the chance of really engaging with all five senses uh, as a means of uh, bringing the internal world and the external world together in, in, you know, kind of a harmony where, um, you know, what we feel and what's happening out there come together and can be integrated. And then from there, you know, there might be some psychological work that needs to be done or some spiritual work or just some work on the body, on strengthening some parts of the body. But that becomes very apparent when we bring those parts of us in, in some kind of congruence. Mm, thank you. Deeply resonates. And that piece <laughs> of the body is the enemy and easing into that, the needs. Yeah. Let's touch a little bit on the topic of self-pleasure, um, sensuality, because also in, in um, one of your podcasts, you have a very interesting take on Jada egg practices and just wondering what you recommend um, for people to, to kind of connect with their sensuality on their own, right? We'll get to partnership in a, in a moment, but first mm -hmm. that with ourselves, mm -hmm. peace. Mm -hmm. Well, pleasure is one of those things that we're essentially born into, Right. So meaning pleasure is our birthright in the sense that um, pleasant sensation is uh, incredibly important in, you know, in, in the way we operate and in the way we grow up. And uh, um, pleasure is not just sexual pleasure, obviously. It's, the sen it's sensory perception, um, you know, positive sensory perception, essentially. And what's positive is different from person to person, obviously. So pleasure is something that is uh, within us and that is an incredibly um, important aspect to human existence uh, from the moment that you lay, you know, skin to skin with your mother all the way to, um, you know, orgasmic pleasure with a lover. There's, it's, it's one, you know, one big spectrum. So that said, um, the role of being able to feel um you know, positive sensations in the body and focus away from negative sensations, so to speak, is super important. And within that, of course, lies an incredible amount of sensual aliveness and beauty and well-being and health and, you know, balance and all of that. So um, I think um, being able to give oneself sens sensory input that is pleasant is super important. And that goes from uh, being in a pleasant environment to being surrounded by beautiful things, smelling 
beautiful things, touching beautiful things, um, wearing beautiful things, right? All of those things are actually what primes us consistently to uh, sensory fullness or well-being or pleasure, however you want to say that. And as that happens, the body becomes alive at, with that. And then that can, of course, also lead to a greater openness to sexual um, sensation and aliveness and all of that. So should one have a, a pleasure practice? Absolutely. And that could be anything from having a cup of tea to full-on sexual um, you know, pleasure practice and anywhere in between. An important piece here is that it can change uh, from day to day from, you know, it can go through cycles with our cycles, can go through cycles of uh, aging, you know, however, however people want to do that, that's fine. There's no, you must masturbate every day or you shouldn't masturbate or whatever. It's whatever works so that your body is alive, feels alive, is positively lit up. That's what I would suggest people do. Mm. Following the positively lit up, yes, yeah, and the full senses. Let's go into the the relationship um, conversation a little bit. I'm curious, what is your take on the difference between just being in a relationship and having a good relationship? And what would you say is in the way um, for most people that, that you've seen in your work from having what you would consider a successful relationship? Well, that's a very big question, you know? but I want to start by saying <laughs> that, of course, when we bring the body to the relation to the relationship, um, it adds a whole other dimension. Meaning, we tend to feel other people via our bodies, right? We can't feel people just through our minds. It's body to body, essentially one body feeling another body, the way you touch somebody else resonates in your own body. There's mirror neurons, there's all kinds of things that make it so our body has to come to the relationship and sexual or otherwise, right? So um, sensitizing and, and being pleasurably alive in your own body, of course, means that you can be pleasurably alive with another body. So if you are totally shut down and you expect somebody else to open you, Uh, it's probably not going to happen, right? So uh, that all said, um, what makes a good relationship is essentially that both people agree on the construct of the relationship, you know, or the purpose of the relationship is one way of saying it. And what makes a lot of people um, not have successful relationships, successful for them, not successful by society standards, because that's pretty useless um, for a number of reasons, right? Number one, whatever people think is what they should be doing is maybe not even doable or it's antiquated or it's doable, but not for them or whatever, right? So you can't go by the societal norm or the aspirational Instagram depiction of what a you know hashtag uh, couples goals or something like that. You can't go by that because... Um, That's not you, but whatever your standard of successful relationship uh, is, it has to be measured by are both people equally expressed and fulfilled in whatever construct you decide on. And if 
uh, you're not equally expressed and fulfilled, do you have the tools and the, the ways um, necessary to get to the best possible situation within whatever the purpose of the relationship is? So I think that's a good metric is to say, are you both um, in the same relationship, meaning do you have the same purpose? And if the answer is yes, then are you happy within that same purpose or is there certain things that need to be uh, you know, figured out? And so I would say a good relationship is a relationship that has a bigger picture goal that allows people to align themselves even in difficult times and even in times where it's downright horrible because they have that bigger picture orientation that allows them to actually um, keep it, you know, keep it in the perspective that it requires. And then of course, having good communication skills is also very important. Everything else comes after that, meaning um, how much sex people have, what kind of sex with whom, how many people are in the relationship or not. Um, people live together, people don't live together. That's essentially all to be aligned with the biggest purpose of the relationship. Hmm. There's something you said in the newly released Netflix show, um, which we'll get to in a moment. It was that there's a difference between making a good relationship and making good sex. Uh, could you speak a bit more about that and, um, and your understanding of what makes good sex? And is it possible to have both? Is it possible to have the good relationship and the good sex? It is possible to have both, uh, but it doesn't happen magically, right? Sometimes people have just everything and it's magic. But typically you go through phases within relationship where one is better than the other and then you have to kind of work on things. And typically how it happens is that when we don't know each other as well as later in the relationship, we have the better sex more exciting it's hotter because it's opposites attract right opposites attract means the further you are apart the stronger the arc of attraction the stronger the arc of attraction the hotter the sex so that's typically there in the beginning and then as you get to know each other and you do more and more things together you have more to agree on and maybe you move in together you have the same friends now you have common memories you have common goals a common purpose right as you come closer the art gets less and then you're just not as hot it might deepen right it might really deepen but it might not be as wildly hot so then the question is do you need the hot if you do need the hot then you have to essentially artificially Uh, create the, the opposition when you want to. But it's much more important that you align and have harmony and commonality for the bigger picture relationship because that's what allows for a bigger picture relationship and then artificially create the friction. We sometimes call it erotic mm -hmm. friction because in my lineage, that's what it's mm -hmm. called. So the erotic friction essentially makes it so you get along a little bit less, but for that you have the hotness, right? So which is, you need a lot less of that than you need commonality because most people mm -hmm. depend in their lives on having a lot of commonality and understanding and communication. And I mean, how often a day do you have sex, right? 
realistically speaking. <laughs> so so it's yeah. much, much better to find somebody with whom you have great commonality and maybe it fizzles a bit in the chemistry because that you can pick up. There's another style of relationship that we all have at least one friend who has it, whom we have to constantly counsel when they break up again. And that is people who are essentially having hot makeup sex all the time because they fight all the time. Right? They have incredibly dysfunctional relationships uh, in the in the relationship aspects, but in the erotic friction aspect, all as well. Right, and so that's typically not a very sustainable, healthy on the system uh, set of circumstances. So it's preferable to have the harmony and commonality and common goals and common values and work on the erotic, which is not that hard because essentially anything that creates a bit of difference uh, will do. I'd love to go more into that. Like I've been in a relationship for six years myself. Um, I know it comes up on the show quite a bit as well, right? That what happens in long-term relationships and that spark that goes, and you just mentioned a few times, there are ways to bring that in. So are you open to share a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, I can, I can do the bigger picture considerations because they are a bit different for each person. But essentially, when you start folding into each other at all times, that's when you have to go, uh, okay, that's probably responsible for the lack of spark. Now, like I said, to some people, that's not really an issue because their goals change, they want to raise a family or run a business or whatever. But for most people, it's this niggling thing in the back. So it has to be addressed. So how you address it is that when you notice that you're spending a bit too much time together, you don't. When you notice that you no longer have anything to talk about other than the dogs, the business, um, the common friends, right? When the commonality is the only topic, that's when you take notice and you go, wow, I have nothing to report that this other person wasn't part of, right? Which we have all been there. You know, so when that happens, you have to kind of go, okay, it's time for me to have a few interests of my own or at least read a book uh, that I can report on or do something that is new and fresh, right? That's super, super important. So that's one of the ways. Um, another thing that you can uh, tend to very easily is that you um, instill uh, procedures of leading and following, meaning one person uh, leads, the other person follows. Let's say on a date, somebody makes all the plans, drives, uh, makes the reservations, uh, orders, pays, whatever, right? And then, uh, and then the next time the other person does does something you know, whatever leads that person uh, on a nature walk or goes to the beach or massages or whatever. So you, you, you kind of pull apart the different aspects. So, you know, you do leader and follower uh, instead of both people wanting to lead and clashing or both people being passive and nothing happens. Right. So there's, there's these principles and by the way, I just created an entire course around this because, of course, people in the show and also, uh, you know, in, in the book and, and all of that always ask about this. There's other uh, things in there as well, like having discipline around communication and 
are really um, pulling apart the different threads of uh, the um, the life together so you can actually go on a date and not talk about the dog or the bills or business, right? And um, that takes a bit of discipline. So those are some bigger picture considerations that when you do them, um, they really make a big difference, huge difference, as a matter of fact, in a very short mm-hmm. period of time, because they're essentially like physics, right? It's like um, mm-hmm. when you have opposites attracting, all you need to really do is create opposition. That could be as simple as leading and following, right? That's opposites, passive and active, opposites. Um, you know, somebody speaking, somebody listening, you know. So so all of those things that are, you can pretty much assume that anything that you did when you were dating and things are hot will still work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. hard for people to understand um, <laughs> sometimes, right? Because right? they want to... They yeah. want to go on a hot date, but they get ready together in the same bathroom talking about, you know, how the cat threw up. And then they wonder that it's not very sexy when they get to the sexy restaurant, where they had high hopes of having a sexy dinner during which they're discussing the evil boss. It's not, it's not sexy. So why would it produce sexy responses in the body? You mentioned the course, and I'd love to go into that a little bit more um, so we can imagine what happens. I, I love the name, the untamed heart, like that word untamed. Just when I read that, I was like, yes. Um, so just so we can ima- uh, understand a little bit more of what happens in the course. Well, the reason it's called the untamed heart, there will be a whole series of courses under the untamed heart, right? Is that coming back to our original nature, right? The un learning and the, the, the rewilding. Um, and this particular one is the relationship course where we're really looking at five building blocks of relationship. Um, and it starts with the common purpose, right? The why of the relationship. Then it goes into who are you in relationship? Um, then it goes deeply into embodiment. Then comes communication and intimacy, you know, and, and connection. And then comes the erotic friction. So those are the five building blocks. And in each of those building blocks, there's lectures and there is um, uh, embodiment exercises. There's practical um, suggestions. There's practices um, that you can do to bring your body online or also interactive stuff. So I made this course specifically so it can be done by people in relationship or by people who want relationship. So it's not a couple's course. I'll do one of those that's specifically for couples on creating the spark. But this one is specifically on uh, really upping all aspects of your relationship game for either your next relationship or your existing relationship. So, And then at the end of each module, there's this whole um, dialogue between Steve and I where we go deeper into the topics of that module. Uh, which has also been really fun, you know, because it's a man and a woman talking about these things. So they're slightly different viewpoints and it's, it's really uh, quite fun. There's, there's two questions that arise from that for me. Um, one is um, when it comes to same-sex relationships, LGBTQ and non-binary individuals, is there anything that you um, 
from your experience, give different kind of advice? Are there other things that arise? Could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Well, you know, I think that because my entire work centers around the nervous system and uh, the expression of a human uh, from kind of out, out c- coming out from the nervous system into the external world, um, for me, sexual orientation or gender orientation isn't so important to the expression, right? I'm very, as you know, I'm very adamant about not using masculine and feminine as terms to describe different attributions and things like that, because I think that's very misleading. And that also excludes um, personal exploration. And Steve and I are incredibly um, adamant, even with the people we train, that um, it's an individualized, personal expression of, uh, you know, the, the systems in the body that we all share, right? Uh, and yes, every endocrine system is slightly different. And of course, we have hormones running through the body and we have certain orientations. But for what we are talking about, which is embodiment, intimacy, the opening of the heart, the hotness or not hotness, uh, both gender and orientation is not I don't know what the word would be. It's not the determining factor. The determining factor is you getting to know you and you being the full expression of who you are with whomever you choose to express that. Right. So there's very little dogma in the way I, uh, I want to look at that. And there's very little, um, having to adjust, uh, you know, or, or telling people that they should feel different. I think, the best I can do with the work I know how to do is empower each human being to be truly themselves and get to know themselves in a way that their emotional body, their physical body and their mental body, so to speak, all live in the same beautiful palace and can be used to the fullness, you know, and that the heart is expressed and that, um, you know, the, the 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 entire the entire humanity gets to be expressed in in the fullest form and that's kind of how i look at it for a you know for a lack of of putting words on something that's so beautiful and vast and amazing right mm-hmm. yeah and i've expressed that to you before but just i have such deep gratitude for your yeah, approach on that. Like I can really feel the inclusivity in it. What ha- it's what drew me to your work at first, and what continues to do so, because um, it does feel so inclusive. So thank you for that. Mm. Um, the other piece that arose in what you were speaking about earlier is that yearning for a relationship. When somebody is in a state of really, really wanting, and I'm finding that in particular in these last two years we found ourselves in, I have a few friends who more than ever are yearning for connection. And there's almost like this gripping of like, where's my person? Where can I find them? And, and like, there's a little bit of a a despair in that, in that reaching. And um, I was wondering how you, what advice you would give for people looking for a relationship and connection in that way? Well, 
you know, you can go like totally meta here or totally kind of micro, right? Like macro to micro. And I think it's important to, to essentially acknowledge that we are social creatures and we're built for relationship and we are meant to uh, live in community, right? So that yearning and that, 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 you know, deep drive towards both a peer bond, which is something that we're wired for to a certain extent, right? But all of us have that aspect to us where that we want a peer bond for a number of reasons, but also then from there out there's the community bond, the tribe bond, right? And mm -hmm. so acceptance and, and safety within a tribe is equally as important as acceptance and safety in your chosen relationship or relationships, right? And so mm -hmm. I think it's important to really fully acknowledge that that yearning is real and that somebody who is uh, lonely and isolated and all of that really, really suffers, right? Really suffers. And I think we've all had our versions of suffering uh, in, you know, in lockdowns and all other kinds of things. So I think when, um, when we, when we're thrown back to the real essentials, which is we can only be with a few people or we are alone, right. And we see uh, everyone else being separated and things become very difficult. It's, um, I would say, understandable that you become desperate. Now, of yeah. course, that said, um, the desperation makes it so we don't make good choices. This is as true when you are hungry than when you want a mate, right? How they always talk about you shouldn't go to the supermarket hungry. This is essentially how you could approach a dating app, you know? Do not go to whatever, bumble hungry, you know? And so what that will mean <laughs> is that if you don't have your person, then the first step is to, of course, cultivate good relationship with yourself. And that should include being able to provide yourself with good amounts of pleasure and nourishment and self-care and um, affirmation of your own system so that you don't come completely starved to the buffet, so to speak. Right. Um, that's super, super important. And then also having some community and tribal construct within, uh, which you feel a, an amount of safety and, but also that allows you to calibrate your interaction with a potential mate within the context of the tribe, so to speak. Right. That's super useful even if it's just one good friend you have or a mentor or somebody or even a therapist, right? Whom you can trust to give you some appropriate yet, um, you know, clear feedback on your choices. And then you have a good chance that when you do approach the buffet hungry and you get, you know, your eyes are a little bit bigger than your stomach, so to speak, um, that might not be the best metaphor for, uh, but you know, when, when, you, when you pick the wrong people or you do too much or mm -hmm. you get into something too deep too quickly because you've been starved, you have a bit of a backup by other people and also by yourself where at some point after you've done this, right, you go, whoa, not feeling so mm -hmm. good, you know, and then that will allow you. But I think it is important to acknowledge that, um, you know, 
that's what we want. And uh, there's nothing wrong with wanting this, but it has to be measured by other metrics than craven desperation or aspirational desire that stems from unrealistic external depictions. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, let's shift a little bit. I mentioned the Netflix show a bunch of times. And um, in the recent years, your work um, has become more and more widespread known, right? You were um, at the Red Table Talk and um, now the Netflix show just came out. And I was just wondering what the experience has been for you, like reaching more mainstream and um, you know, working with some celebrities and well-known individuals. It's a good question. I think on one end, to me, this is something that's so internal that it's going to take me a moment to actually mm-hmm. externalize that, right? Um, <laughs> because it's a feeling, right? It's a feeling in my body that I'm trying to give words to. That's why I'm a little bit like, Ugh. So I would say mm-hmm. that when I look at, um, you know, I'm now 54, so I kind of look back at a fairly... A meaty career at this point. I have worked in my field longer than I have not worked in my field, right? So, so meaning um, I'm, I, I have a long track record of uh, being involved in the work I'm involved in. And so I can say that I'm incredibly happy that I have something in my life that I'm not passionate about um, and that um essentially takes up my entire experience, so to speak. Every aspect of my life is somehow tied into into the work I do. Um, and I find that incredibly gratifying and I find it incredibly um, creatively interesting as well. So from that viewpoint, being able to do the thing I love to do uh, for more people is incredibly uh, worthwhile and gratifying and wonderful. And um, every time I get a message of somebody now with the Netflix show, right, when people send these little messages and they say things like, I watched this with my husband and afterwards we had a conversation that we've never had before. Or one of my clients uh, texted me yesterday and said, it's the first time I've spoken with my mother about sex. Yeah. Hmm. And, and, (laughs) and it was a very profound experience for her. So that to me is, is so rewarding and it's incredibly exciting to be able to do that. And also to be able to find things that can be taken by people anywhere in the world for their um, deeper relating is, is just an unbelievable gift. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, I don't take that lightly. I feel incredibly grateful and gratified, you know, with that. So that's that. (laughs) Um, I I would also say that I think one of the things that is the toughest part about it is that, of course, the more my stuff is out there, the more it's also just appropriated, um, you know, Mm. And uh, and that's not always easy because I have very long-standing, really hardcore engagement with things that I've turned around sixty thousand times so that I can say it the way I say it, and I'm still gonna polish that 
till the day I die, probably, right? And so then when I see certain things being either taken out of context or being taken without the understanding of of the integrity of the entire thing, it's very painful. Um, and uh, it makes me emotional. It's so painful, right? It's like, yeah. it, it's one of these things where I just don't know exactly what to do about it. So while on one end, I want to give it all away, and I want to make sure that everything I've, uh, you know, accumulated in the realms of uh, of my experience and my professional experience and the things I've uh, designed and created can be used. On the other hand, I've had recently a few really, uh, you know, just startling things where, I, for instance, today I found somebody had taken an entire course that I created and just knocked it off Uh you know, bit for bit, and uh, but without any understanding of why or how or what it took, um, and then charge six times as much for this for and what what they paid for it, right? Mm-hmm. So then then it's like wow, that you know it's like what do you do with that? Mm-hmm. I I don't know exactly how to reconcile that yet, other than. I have an impulse that makes me really stingy, right, in that particular moment. And then I have to kind of relax and go, well, okay, whatever. I can always make more where this came from. And this isn't the Mm -hmm. ultimate only and last of my offerings. And I'll just explore further and come up with more stuff and share that with the world and, you know, and all of that. But there's a real real, um, moment of, wow. You know, mm-hmm. what? Where am I? Who am I? What's happening? That that I think is uh, is going to be very fruitful, but it's not entirely easy. Let's put it this way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Oh, I can I can feel that ache and um, and also just the aspect of taking something completely out of context. Um, you know that it can cause damage as well if, if the individuals that then come in touch with this kind of work that goes that deep but doesn't have the, the depth and the holding so yeah I can definitely feel your ache um, and I, I feel your just overflowing generosity of like you know this is this is your thing like it's your what you're sharing with the world like I know it's it's changed my life and continues to and there's many more lives that I know um, this resonates with as well yeah um, I wanted to do a little honoring and celebration of the fact when I watched the show, you're adorned with our jewelry and I was just doing yes. this happy dance. Um, so grateful. So I was wondering if you'd be open to sharing with our listeners, maybe what your favorite pieces and also just what our jewelry evokes for you when mm. you do wear it. Well, I want to also say that, um, you know, I have a very deep connection to your jewelry and with that to you, of course, because um, yours was the first jewelry I got um, after the fire, right? So for those who are listening who obviously don't know that, I lost my property, not just the house, but also animals and barns and everything I owned in a wildfire. Um, And um, so... I had incredibly beautiful jewelry all the way back to my great grandmother and it all went, you know? And so, um, when we met and I saw your beautiful, uh, 
you know, the beautiful creations that you wore and you said they were yours. Um, I think I bought like five or six pieces immediately because I had to have stuff, right? And so it was the only jewelry I had. And, uh, and so it was incredibly precious and beautiful. And also, I think my most favorite piece, and that features big time on the show, is, of course, this piece here. Because mm -hmm. I love yeah, Moonstone. Right? I have a huge yeah. thing about Moonstone. Recently got the matching necklace with it, which oh, I'm right. also wearing. Oh, it's, it's yeah. The, yeah, the white yeah, yeah, yeah. free. It and, was a bit blurry. Uh, it was like, yeah. Yes, they, these two go together. Um, so mm -hmm. I own, still till this day only own uh, your stuff and another woman's uh, in, in Northern California is also a small jewelry mm -hmm. maker. Um, these are the only two mm -hmm. people whose jewelry I own or want to own at this particular moment in time. And also I have a few Satya pieces as well, I think. so. It's mm -hmm. But it's mostly you... It's a little bit um, other stuff, uh, but actually that's not true. That also burned. <laughs> so, so it's just you and, and um, Becky. And um, in that there's a huge symbolism in the sense that it is a rebirth, right? And it's also, you know, things that I know that you make in a way that's very important to you and also to me, sustainable, honoring the people, honoring uh, the process, blessing things that are within a certain um, traditional context and all of that's super important to me. And so um, I love wearing it because it feels really good. And then, of course, the other thing that I want to say, I think on the show I wear this mostly, um, Tao, you know, who is a, a, a joint friend of ours, um, had two different times had malas commissioned uh, for me um, one has Saraswati on it and one has, um, Mother Mary, you know, on, on, on it. And, um, they're custom pieces and they mean so much to me because essentially you and her collaborated on something, um, that I get to wear where all your creativity and your love and your care for your individual and joint thing. And, uh, that's just, you know, and I, I, you know, can't say enough about that. Mm -hmm. It's just such pleasure and and just wonderful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> such an honor. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and and by like, the way, the yeah. package arrived today with my brand new beautiful square. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect yeah. timing. Mm, proud to be. Proud to be, Nicholas. Proud to be. Yeah. Um, Speaking of the joy of, of creation and collaboration, um, I'm curious, what are any of your upcoming projects, trainings, what is coming through that lights you up right now and that we yeah. can also share with anyone listening? Well, the relationship course has just gone live uh, last Thursday, mm -hmm. the same day as, as the Netflix show. Um, so that's really exciting because I got to really um, take some of the things that I've worked with for many, many years and make it super practical. And that's downloadable instant access uh, home studies because, um, you know, we're still not totally at a time where we can teach live workshops, but I want, and I also don't want to do that kind of stuff on Zoom because that's not 
optimal for relational engagement. So to be able to give something that people can do at home that includes things like having conversations, there's whole instructions on having certain conversations and stuff like that was really important to me. And then um, I am doing a, a wild woman circle teacher training. So that's the women's, if you want to lead women's groups within the context of the wild woman's way, that's an actual teacher and practitioner training. And then uh, nonlinear movement teacher training, we're bringing new dates out next week. So that's always super exciting. Mm -hmm. These will stay on Zoom for the time being because I really love the idea that people from South Africa and people from Brazil, mm -hmm. people from Bali and people from Australia and all of Europe can come together. And we always teach them in two streams so people from all time zones can mix and match. Mm. And, and that's been Amazing. super gratifying. Um, and then, you know, there's study groups coming back up next year where I teach lineage teachings or from my own lineage. And um, also, um, well, we'll see how that goes, uh, how, how much of that I can, I can do. But um, I did this amazing thing this year, amazing in the sense that I had no idea it could be so much fun and so um, interactive. I did something called the 12 facets of the feminine and the 12 facets of the feminine was like archetypal work where I'm combining archetypal engagement with myths, with stories, with movement and embodiment and practices. And we've done 12 archetypes, four seasons that were just uh, such an amazing participation as well by all the people, you know, who came for that. So I want to make that, those 12, uh, 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 archetypes available as evergreen and start 12 new ones because you know it's just so much fun yeah <laughs> so yeah that so that's amazing. what's happening that's lots funny. happening yeah mm -hmm. also mm -hmm. like i said the book's coming it. out in paperback the same day as will smith's new book is coming out and in that Ooh. book there's a whole chapter on him and I working together that has some very beautiful themes of what's also in the relationship course. And so I'm super excited mm. about all this, you know, mm. um, yeah, fun stuff happening. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It sounds amazing. Mm. Wow. What an honor and pleasure to connect so much gratitude and I can't wait to, yeah, see what comes through. And it's so, it's so beautiful what you create in the world. Thank you. Ah, oh, thank you. Thank you for the beauty that you create in the world. So very happy <laughs> about that. Thank you for joining us for Sensitive Matters. If you haven't had a chance yet, please subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast from. And if you have a chance, please rate and review if you're listening via Apple Podcast, as it really helps more people discover the show to listen to these incredible conversations. This podcast is brought to you from Bali and made possible by my ethical jewelry company, Ananda Soul. You can check out our website and all of our ethically handmade jewelry at anandasoul.com. You'll also receive a $15 gift card on your first purchase when you subscribe to our newsletter, so make sure not to miss out on that as well. 
Thank you again for joining us, and we look forward to sharing more of Sensitive Matters with you. Thank you.